Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have uh, a less than thrilling result to talk about this week. Somehow not the most depressing uh, sports game I watched on Sunday, but here we are to talk about it anyway. Uh, Joining me this week, as always, unfortunately for them, are my two partners in crime. Uh, Leading us off from the slopes of South Florida, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, uh, you know, that, that must have been a real cherry on top for you this weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, anytime you can lose to your rival in humiliating fashion, uh, you just have to seize the opportunity. And, um, you know, uh, last year it was Arsenal that seized the opportunity to uh, lose in humiliating fashion. And um, this year um, we took it. And uh, I can only hope that uh, it will result in our title challenge next year. That is that, that is a... That is the kind of happy clapping we need on this podcast. Coming to us, look, man. I got we, look. This is the most positive you guys are going to get. So if that's <laughs> what you want, you just turn it off now because now we're going to introduce Ben, and it's just downhill from here, guys. Yeah, Ben, uh, coming to us from the outskirts of Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> how how are you coping with this? Uh, you know, how, how, are you, how's the couch been the last two nights? I, I mean, I'm coping by just totally shutting down. Like, I'm just not feeling things anymore. And that's working pretty good. <laughs> just being dead inside. is very healthy, I've heard. So, good job. <laughs> um, Nothing matters anymore. Nothing bothers you. We have a very... I see no way that would end badly many steps down the line. <laughs> well, you know, it could end worse. You could be kicking Aaron Ramsdale in the back. Or that might be better, honestly. Get a little bit of the catharsis in your life. Yeah. Fine. Send me to jail. (laughs) (laughs) I did more for this team than the players did today. (laughs) Let's just roll with that. Um, Yeah, so we have a 2-0 Derby defeat to talk about. Uh, We're going to get into all the stuff I think all of our listeners would expect us to talk about, but I'm going to mix it up for once. Um, I want to start with maybe the only positive note of the game, and I do mean actual positive note. I want to talk about if, if there is a bright spot for Spurs, and I think there is some play in the game that was, you know, positive, but... We'll get to that in a minute. If there is someone who I could sort of unreservedly praise for their performance on the game, in the game, it is um, Sar, who made his first Premier League start after a few days after making his first start period for Spurs against Portsmouth. Um, ben, let's just go straight to you with this. I think I don't think he set the world on fire or anything, but I think that was a very impressive performance, especially when you consider a it was his first start in the Premier League for Spurs, B, his age, and C, how everyone else around him was playing. Um, and I guess D, the sort of spectacle of the game, too. But I was very impressed with Sar, and I think he is easily the, the biggest plus to come out of this game for Spurs. Yeah, I think there's no question. I, I hate to, to give Conte credit for anything uh, in a game like this, but you know, I think when we saw the lineup, it was a pretty big swing for him to make that decision to put a 20-year-old kid into his first Premier League start, you know, a guy who he has really marginalized uh, the rest of the season. Um, you know, I know Ben Kors hurt, so, like, the door was open, but he could have just as easily started a Skip Hoybeard midfield. And credit to him for for taking that chance. And, you know, I think Sar uh, rewarded that faith pretty well. I mean, you know, we were still – you know, two v three in midfield and got chewed up pretty good, but uh, yeah, I mean, he acquitted himself really well. He showed a lot of flashes going forward, um, out of possession. It's just a guy that I hope we, you know, have the opportunity to build around um, as we eventually, at some point in the possible future, become a good team again. Well, uh, and not to not to cut you off, Craig, but you know, one of the things that that we kind of talked about in the build up to the match was. You know uh, that Sar was getting to play over Basuma, 
not just Skip or, or, or you know, an injured Bentoncourt, but that, I forgot you know, Basuma existed. Exactly, right? Like <laughs> our big money summer signing, who we were all like, well, not I'm not as big as Richardson, but like we spent a lot of money on Basuma, and um, we were all like, no, this is the guy. Look at all the stuff he does for Brighton. He's the fix to this midfield, um, and. Not to say that he's still not a talented player, but he's he's just not doing it this year. He, whether it's his grasp of Conte's system or or whatever it is, and at the very least, Sar has, like we talked about last week, earned his opportunity to continue getting these this playing time. And I, I think I said in our writers' room after I saw the lineups drop, like everybody's like, "Oh, well, this is a big opportunity. Like this is maybe this is too big of a game for him." It's like. This is a guy that's played against PSG for you know uh, in 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 league on. This is a guy that's played in in big cup matches for his his French team. Like he he is he is familiar with you know uh, rivalry games. He's familiar with games against big teams and good players. Like again, he's not some sixteen year old academy guy. He is someone who has played two seasons of top flight football in one of the top five leagues in Europe, and he's good. And and he showed that today. He wasn't over or on Sunday. He wasn't overawed by the occasion. He was maybe a little bit at fault in the second goal. He wasn't really as close to Odegaard as you probably like him. But like everything else was pretty fine. He's still our you know most competent passer in midfield. He moves the ball on quickly. He does all the stuff we'd like. It's just like like Greg said, the people around him maybe not not helping him any. Well, I think that's what I found so. And maybe I'm a little over-encouraged as a result of it, but, you know, you look at SAR, you look at any of our midfielders, and putting aside how they've played this year or what the system's like or any of that shit, like, their basic remit for all of our other midfielders are solid defensive midfielders. Some of them can get forward and do things like Bentoncourt and, to a lesser extent, um, Skip and uh, Hoiberg. Some of them have a shot in them, like Hoiberg. Some of them just can run with the ball, like Skip. But none of them, I would say, they're sort of like, you know, the reason they're on the pitch is to sort of, like, progress the ball as their primary function. And Sar does that, I think. Maybe, maybe again, I'm, I, it's, some of this might be just judging him on a curve compared to all of our other midfielders. But the fact of the matter is, he's a, he's a guy who looks for a pass and is looking to get it up the pitch, and I can't say that about all of our other players. And that's not necessarily a criticism of all our other, other midfielders, but it is a criticism of our roster construction, and I think it's encouraging to see him, someone like that in, in our team. And I think it's encouraging, like Ben said, it's encouraging that Conte, whatever else you want to say about what Conte did, I think it's encouraging that he gave Sar a shot. And it was nice to see him in the team, and I hope as Bentoncourt gets more healthy... We see more of them because I think we've talked a lot about this. Even going back to last year when things were going a lot better, you know, our midfield two that we're playing with, or even the threes that we're playing with, are you know, there's no one in there that sort of gets the ball upfield. And I think we have like, yeah, and I feel like we have four guy, all four of those other guys. I think we would all agree could be fine if they were paired with some form of a more progressive midfielder, whether that's a Musa Dembele who dribbles it forward or a um you know a Luka Modric someone you can pass it but you a know Granit Xhaka a Martin Odegaard exactly you know? um you know and again I should be to be fair to them like Conte clearly doesn't want them doing that shit so maybe if you you know maybe there's a version of Oliver Skip where if you let him off the leash you can you know he can dribble the ball upfield a little more you know Hoiberg can play more passes I don't think that's the case but you know my point is, Sar seems a little more up for it than the other guys in terms of getting the ball up the pitch, and that was really refreshing to see, and maybe the only thing that was refreshing to see in that game. The flip side of that is, it was so so clear how how singular his presence was on the pitch, and then looking at the way Arsenal have guys just top to bottom, front to back, who can all pass the ball, who all look for, you know those kinds of progressive passes and look to move the ball up the field. And it's just like, I I hate to feel envious of this stupid fucking club, but like credit to them. They have built the kind of team that is fun to watch. That does fun things on the pitch that have highly technical players who get on the ball and are exciting when they get on the ball. And we're just not that we're just not that team. Well, I, I think the thing that's really frustrating about Arsenal is I think they are a team that 
for the most part, is greater than the sum of its parts. I don't think there's a lot of, and some of this is a hangover of former perceptions, which is my fault. There's a lot of players on Arsenal that just aren't that impressive or don't blow you away. And Arteta, as much as we made fun of him on this podcast, I, I really thought that guy was a fraud coming into this year, um, given how they played last year. But, like, he's really got them playing well. Like, this whole crazy passing thing. And, I, I mean, I think Jesus is maybe the exception to that. And I think he really knits a lot of what they do together. But he's out, and, like, they've got scrubs filling his role and playing well. I mean, Spurs can't I mean, find their ass. I mean, had a great game. Yeah. Like, I would... I would love to have an understudy that good. We do. I mean, you can't tell me Richarlison's not, like, a better player than him, but, like, it's about utilizing these guys, and Arteta's figured out a way to do that. He's figured out, you know, Grant Xhaka has been a liability for Arsenal for, like, what, three managers now, however many it's been? Like, I mean, he has been a problem for that team, and I'm not going to say sit here and say Grant is never going to be a problem for Arsenal again, because I think it, that's not true, but... He's got him playing really well right now. And you look at how Conte can't get a tune out of some of these players right now. And I don't think it's all his fault. Because um, I don't think... I, I'm not going to ascribe whatever the hell's going on with Son to Conte. But, like, you know, like, I, I think... We're going to talk a lot on this podcast. We have talked a lot on this podcast about how fucked up Spurs roster construction is. I don't think this team should be as bad as they are right now. Maybe they're not... A title contender. Maybe they're not even a Champions League level team. They should be playing better football. They they are capable of playing better football than this. Maybe under a different manager, but this is a team. This team should not be this bad, and they are. Yeah, <clears throat> they really are. Um, I mean, I think I don't know what about the game you guys want to talk about if we or if we even want to talk about the game because I think ultimately, you know that's kind of secondary to where most of us are as fans right now. Like we all, we're all pissed about losing to Arsenal. Right. But like, that's just like a, a symptom of the overall problem. Well, like, I'll tell you, there's one thing I want to say about this game before we go anywhere else. What is truly the most frustrating thing about this game isn't getting outclassed by Arsenal. It's not getting beat by Arsenal. It's that we played as badly as we did, and the reason that we gave away those two goals is because our keeper threw one in the net and like probably should have stopped the other one from going in the net, which was a pretty highly speculative shot, even though he deserves credit for making it. But still, the fact of the matter is like, <laughs> like we were bad enough. We didn't need Hugo helping them out, too. And that's what, you know, I think that's been a common frustration for Spurs these last, like, two months is, you know, we have enough problems without these, like, people forgetting how to play football all of a sudden. And Hugo is an example where Ben was probably right, where he's falling off a cliff to some extent. That's right. And But my point is, Why like, other guys, Why you give him other guys who are better players. Romero has not been good this year, and maybe we're just going to chalk that up to injuries, but he hasn't been good this year. Uh, Davies and Dyer, who I don't think any of us thought were, you know, elite players by any shakes, but they were not just – they did not make mistakes like they made this year, last year. I mean – Guys are just, like, forgetting how to play football this year. And I don't know what it is. Like, I, I honestly, I wish I did. But um, we're bad enough without those mistakes. But we're making them anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to look at this and not see just sort of a general malaise over the whole squad. Um, you know, whether that's tactical, whether, you know it's emotional, you know, whether we just got really unlucky and son and Hugo just happened to stop being good at the same time for whatever reason. And, you know, it's like the Deli alley situation where no one could have legislated for how bad that cliff would hit them, but they fell off of it. And I think, I don't know. so there is a, there is a, um, a player my baseball team signed to an extension a couple of years ago, and pretty much everyone thought this player is going to decline, that contract's a mistake. And he just completely fell off a cliff in a way no one could have anticipated. And like you said, Ben, we've had like three or four players in the last few years. Like a decline, like, like you look at Son last year, and if you want to say to me coming into the summer, he's not going to be that good again, we need to legislate for that. I think that's fair to an extent. But, like, come on, there's no way anyone thought this was good. Like, I like for whatever else you want to accuse Spurs of planning for or not planning for, like, 
I think you, you know, maybe next year, maybe the year after that, but like, I think you could, I don't think anyone saw this kind of dip with Son coming short of an injury. I, I think. Good, Brian. I, I was just going to say, I think you're right. I mean, you know, I think the Sun one is the easy or the hardest one to predict, but I think, I think we were all talking this summer about, you know, you know, the need to upgrade central center back, the need to upgrade left center back, the 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 necessity of, you know, getting in additional wing backs or, or, or thinking about a long term solution at goalkeeper. Um, but a lot of what we as fans were thinking about did not include like upgrading Sun. Like if anything, we were talking about like, well, maybe should we think about moving on from Kane and then Richarlison allows you to do that and then you work with Richarlison and Sun? Like there was no even the most cynical fans did not see this coming from Sun, and I I think the if you're if you're if anywhere would try and say that like looking back we should have seen this coming, I I think that's absolutely absurd. There, there's just nothing in anything we saw the last two years that indicated that like oh here's the cliff and it is going to hit us fucking hard. Well, here's the crazy thing: Spurs actually. Like, let's say they did see that coming, and they clearly didn't. They bought a pretty good replacement for Son or a backup for Son. Like, Richarlson is a pretty good plan B for your left, left for your attacker on the left, but he's just been hurt, like, most of the fucking year. So, it's, you know, you, you don't even I mean, get the benefit even of that. Healthy, even when he was healthy, Conde didn't really use him in place of Son. I mean, largely because Kulishevsky was hurt, and we had to, you know, but I don't, I don't know how Son stayed on the pitch for 90 minutes in this match. You know, he was so clearly just not didn't have it. He had and the most shots and the most XG of any Spurs player. He had he had one really good chance. And honestly, it's the kind of chance I feel like he would have buried last year. And it's just, I, I, I look at Son and it's so frustrating because it's not like he's slow. It just seems like he's got the yips. Like, I mean, do you guys disagree with that? Like, it doesn't look like a physical cliff to me. Maybe yeah. I'm... Like, talking myself out of things. But I do think there's a physical component to it because, like, you know, his touch has abandoned him. And, and look, I was never good enough at soccer to to have touch whatsoever. So, like, I don't know if that's a physical thing or if that's a feel, like a a mental emotional thing. I I, I don't know. I would think there's some component of both. Um, But, like, yeah, it's not that he's suddenly so much slower it just seems like his decision making is worse his touch is worse like like it, it's very strange yeah i mean you know i think the big picture of the game is like is more than just sun being bad it's more than just yes. hugo being bad all those things don't help um that so many players just like had a stinker because it's like it's every week now you yes know? somebody's I mean, fucking up and the team is putting them in positions where those fuck-ups cost us yeah i mean well, I, I just was looking at, at stats kind of before we started and and um you know we've conceded two or more goals in our last five consecutive home league matches that's the first time we've done that since like 1992. Like, we have we have a manager who is ostensibly a defense a defensive manager because um, he's certainly not an attacking manager, <laughs> um, and and our defensive record, which you know even when we've been bad over the last two or three years, um, is is not very good this season. I, I just it's I don't I mean, know. It's- We've conceded two goals in nine of our last ten Premier League games. Yeah. Like, that's just, you can't, you're not going to win games like that. And, I mean, and you know, how many of those have we allowed the other team to score first, you know? like All of them, except for Palace. Yeah, so. uh, Which I'm convinced was, like, Patrick Vieira throwing the game to give us all a false sense of confidence before Arsenal humiliated us. Well, and I think it's so frustrating, too, because, like, you can't even, I think, entirely, because there was, like, what, a 20, 25-minute period of sort of spurs in the ascendancy that 
even accounting for everything, I think Arsenal. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Arsenal was a little lucky not to get out to get out of that without conceding because Ramsdale actually played really well. But generally speaking, Arsenal played really well defensively. But a lot of the reason I think this game didn't feel worse than it was is because Arsenal could take their foot off the gas. They can sit back and defend, which they're capable of doing well apparently now, and it's irritating because you know if 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 you can withstand that to some extent and then maybe put some pressure on them. Who knows? But, like, we're just incapable of doing that now. And it's, it's you know, if we can't defend well, if we can't attack well, then, like, what the hell's the point of what we're doing right now? Which I think brings us to our manager. You know, I think, and again, we'll get to this part, part even later, but I don't think Antonio Conte is responsible for all of Spurs' problems. But, you know, I said this about Harry Kane a few years ago when he wanted out, and I think it's even more relevant to Conte. It's just this attitude he projects where he's just a passenger here and has nothing to do with it, is really irritating to me. He, let's, let's assume he's not getting the transfers he wants, which I don't actually believe. Like, there's no flexibility in tactics. We're past the point where I'm making sure these guys play a certain system is a reasonable excuse. There's no flexibility in tactics. He, just baffling personnel decisions. No adaptability. You know, I've seen people suggest the only time we're good is when we're forced to abandon his preferred style of play because we're down a goal or two. You know, it's just, I'm increasingly, I don't understand what Conte is supposed to be doing because our defense is bad, our attack is useless, and he's out here just being like, well, what do you expect me to do about it? I'm not being backed or whatever. And, like, I don't know, maybe we're not buying him all the players he wants, but, like, I I can't believe after his Hosh's taking act last year that he had no input in what we did this summer. Even if we couldn't get Bastoni or something, go ahead, Ben. And like, no, I mean, you, you know, you make the point that like we do, we we do play these like second halves where suddenly like we look capable of something, and yes, a lot of that is game state driven, and the way teams play us with a lead is different than they're going to play us at nil nil. But you see, you know, in the second half of this game, like we were in it, we were down two goals, we were playing like we belonged on a football pitch with Arsenal, and like you see this in time after time of like, you see the team turning it on. And like these guys who like half the time look like a bunch of losers, like look capable of playing good football. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why we're not a great team personnel wise, whatever, but like you you can see us be good enough often enough, even if it's in flashes and, and, you know, 30 minute stretches here and there, it's like, Conte could be doing more with what he has to make this team not suck. I mean, again, we saw it last spring. Like, it's really hard to reconcile that with this. Yes. And think, well, you know, it's it's entirely down to Levy and Paratici not getting him the guys. Because it it isn't. Like, okay, you yeah. didn't get Bastoni, that stinks. But, like, your point is to make some of these guys better. Like, I mean, even if you account for Davies and Dyer couldn't sustain the form they had last year, like... Like, there's no accounting for this. You know, it's like, you got to mix it up. Why aren't we seeing more three-man midfields? We're getting eaten alive in midfield all the time. If right wing back was this big of a problem, why didn't Conte... Because if Conte threw a fit about it, which Conte doesn't seem to have a problem letting us know when he's really upset, we didn't hear a word about the problem with the right backs this summer. So either he misjudged what he had... Or he thought he could right. get away with he it. He was fine to let Levy buy Jed Spence for him. And then... You know, took one look at him in training. It was like, no, this guy's not it. Yeah, I, I think where I'm at is kind of, I keep going back and forth on it. Is you know, is this a is this a Conte thing or is this uh, a players thing? And and you know, just kind of like both of you have already said, if it's if it's a manager thing, like this is a man that's been very successful. You know, in the, in the like literal right job right before Spurs. It's not like Mourinho where he's years removed from kind of the height of his powers. Like what he did at Inter Milan with those players is amazing. And, and, and so Conte to, to, to come to Spurs and to, you know, have that initial success and then turn it into this is just so confusing where we're like you said, Ben, and Greg, you know, no, no flexibility, no personnel changes, nothing. Um, but then also, like, 
the core of this team is like kind of the core that's been, you know, at this basic level for the last three years. Like, uh, you know, maybe this is just as good as, as these guys are. And, and, you know, I, 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 I'm not one of those people that advocates for like crazy roster churn. And like, if you look on Twitter, people think we should have bought a whole new 11 over the summer, which just like, isn't going to happen for any football team, let alone happen for Spurs. And I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. <laughs> yeah. I'm just at a loss right now in terms of well, this is where this club is and what our identity is and what we do going forward and and anything and and I just don't know. Well, look at this team, like because they, they they really are hard to get a handle on. As much as like even so, I, I think even Ben would could see this because like on the one hand, they're a bunch of feckless losers who can't tie their own shoes and give up a goal the second anyone runs fast towards them or passes the ball. On the other hand, like how many 1-0, 2-0 deficits have we seen them turn around this year? Like there's clearly something there. Like, you know, like you said, Ben, even in this Arsenal game where they look like feckless losers for large swaths of the first half, you know, there's points in that game. Like if they managed to get a goal in like the 50th minute, that's a game again all of a sudden. And they absolutely could have done that. They were playing really well at the beginning of the second half. And it's like, you know, and again, I think we all know where deficiencies in the squad are, but it's like, I can't even just settle on these people are useless losers who don't have any motivation. Cause it's not like that's true. We've seen them rebound from tough positions this year. That takes some level of character. So I don't know what it is. And, you know, I'm forced to, you know, as many problems as there are with our transfer policy and how this team is run and how this team is built, you know, I, I just, you know, for what we're paying Conte, for what he was able to do with his team last year, like, he should be getting more out of these guys. And now to hear that he wants, you know, that if, if part of the issue is he's not willing to commit to the team and maybe the players are disenchanted by that, which I think is fair enough, to be 100% honest with you. But Conte's saying he wants, like, a raise if he's going to stick around. Like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, last year was impressive. You wanted to have that demand this summer. That's a conversation that maybe was worth having. But, like, at this point, right now, where we're getting these, like, submarino feckless performances... Like, why are you getting a raise? Was, was was feckless the word of your day? On yeah, your no, I just my, my brain just gets stuck on a rail, on, and I can't get off of it. But it's just I mean, it's a good word. It's a very good word. Very descriptive. Um, has a lot of strong consonants. Yeah, sounds. I like it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. We feckless. Need more feckless. Squad. Feckless. Antonio Feckless. There we go. I don't know. It's just like that. He's actually leaking. He wants a fucking raise to stick around after the shit we've had a, to watch. A feckin' raise. A feckin' yeah. raise. Yeah. This feckin' guy. I don't know. I'm just really sick of it. And it's like, again, it's like because it's not like the front office have all these defi- doesn't have deficiencies. It's not like Spurs can't be run or built better. But it's like I'm, I'm just tired of him acting like, well, I'm this crazy genius. And if they just gave me the tools I needed, I'd have this team winning the league. You know, if you think Spurs are going to take a while to, to, like, fucking win something and you want to do it here, then sign a fucking extension, dude. Like, and don't ask for, like, a huge raise to do it. Like, it's well, not that much of a privilege having you around. I think one of the other things that we as fans don't really think about is, like, managing a football team and running a football team is also like some weird kind of alchemy that we all don't really understand. I mean, you have a guy who, for example, Arteta, we all thought he was a fucking fraud and that he was a complete joke and he's drawing pictures of brains and hearts, holding hands and little fucking light bulbs and shit. And you know what? They're pretty fucking good this year. Um, and, you know, and then you have guys like, um, you know, Ben's favorite, Graham Potter, um, who Greg knew was a fraud. You know what he um, is, Brian? Was, you know what he is? He, he is a fraud. Feckless. He's feckless. He's feckless. Oh, I'm, I should have known that, <laughs> honestly. Um, uh, but, you know, and, and he goes to a club with all the money in the world who are continually buying players. Um, although, again, weirdly, weird squad building from them. Uh, and he, he, he might not last the season um so you know like managing a football team is hard like i respect that but like uh, it it should be better than this like this this is this should not be what we're getting yeah i mean this is our our first home defeat to arsenal in nine years jesus really they've done the double overs this year 
I mean, I, I knew that. I understand I just... that Arsenal are particularly good this season in a way that they really haven't been for most of those nine years. But, you know, we've had a lot of darker times, I would say, in the last few years and worse managers than Conte and still never managed to get embarrassed on our home park like this. And I, I don't know. I mean, I that should be deeply humiliating and embarrassing and humbling for everybody involved. Um, and for Conde to turn around and ask for a raise in the wake of it just really rubs me the wrong fucking way. Well, again, it's, it's this thing that bothers me because, like, and Conte's different because he's management, but there's this thing about, like, you know, we're all in the midst of, like, you know, player self-interest or manager self-interest. They got to do what's right for them, and they don't have to subordinate themselves to the club. Well, there's a level at which you are a member of the club, and this isn't happening in a vacuum. You're not a passenger, like I said. It's, you know, the Conte is acting because he is coached at won the league at Chelsea or won the league at Inter and played really well with the Italian national team. Like, that he is just somehow not responsible for this or, like, not entirely responsible. It's like, no, I'm sorry, like... You absolutely need to own more. He needs to own more of this than he does. And if he doesn't want to be here, he needs to just fucking leave. And if he does want to be here, if he does want the hierarchy, then they need to, like, talk about it. Like, I I was talking about this earlier. I can't believe, like, every other week, we would have, like, God, if this result had happened last year, like, Conte would have been, like, on top of the skywalk threatening to jump off after he called Sky News to film it. Like, this year, he's just like, oh, ho-hum. I don't know. And... You can't tell me that after all those performances last year, after threatening not to come back over and over, that that man had no say in our summer transfer market. Even if we, like, let him down and weren't able to nail some of the targets we wanted to. Like, you're telling me that he's just, like, all of a sudden decided, like, ah, fuck it, whatever. Just do whatever you want, Daniel Levy and Fabio. Like, whatever. Like, you can't tell me that he didn't have a say, and maybe not in Spence, but in everybody else, like... I don't know. I gotta think he wanted Basuma around. If he didn't, he suddenly shut up about what he wants. And it's you know like okay, like if Conte was like, I want X players. I need them to win at this club. You know, if the club backs me, I'll sign an extension. It would be like you know, I would almost be fine with it. Like I mean, I wouldn't want to see this shit anymore. But it's seeing this play and the drama around Conte, the acting like he's not responsible for any of this. God, it fucking frustrates me. So has this pushed you into uh, Conte out? Kind this? of. Like, I just don't, like, I don't think it's going to matter because I don't think he's going to be here next year. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think necessarily we're going to be this bad all season, especially if we get some transfers in. I um, mean, like, Bentancourt is about to come back. Like, you know, Pedro Poro will probably help us win the Champions League. I don't know. Marcus Edwards. Uh, yeah, him. sure. Why not? Um, but my point is, like, I just don't think he's going to be here next year because nobody seems terribly happy to about it the players don't, this doesn't seem to be working the players don't seem thrilled he doesn't seem thrilled you know we're getting rumors that levy's getting nervous like i mean i just don't think he's gonna be here next year i don't want to see this anymore and frankly what i want is like if i was gonna want conte around i'd like to see him trying shit that's what bothers me is like i don't care that you got your system like you need to like mix up personnel or at least like be demanding someone like like you know if pedro poro comes in and he just starts whipping it and we start whipping ass and like, fair enough. Like, you know, maybe this, maybe the, the player selection really was letting you down that badly, but you know, I don't think that'll happen. Even though I think a guy like Poro would help. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I think, um, yes, I am now Conte out, but if only because I think, Something different needs to happen for us to make sure that we secure fourth. And, I mean, if if Conte out means, you know, Ryan Mason interim manager, then let's just keep Conte until his contract expires. Um, but, you know, if we have some, like, coherent plan um, for succession or, or some we don't have a great coherent plan that for we succession. want. I mean, come on. Like, let's not, like... Look, I just mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I, all I'm saying is, is just, like, we all know what the end thing here is, and that, and that's Champions League qualification. And right now, it, it is still reasonable under Conte. Like, we're not that far. in Like, points-wise, 
we are basically still we could finish anywhere from basically second to well, I don't know eighth, and so you know let's make sure that it's second, third, fourth that we finish, and 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 that you know I don't just don't think Ryan Mason or, or an interim manager is going to do that. I think it's much more likely with either a real manager or Antonio Conte, and so like the club has to decide. Which what what's what's what are you doing? What what gives you the best chance to get to that goal? And if you think and you know based on you being in the building that the players haven't bailed on Conte and that they still want to play for him and that, you know, maybe they'll push on, then Conte in. Fuck it. Whatever. Let's just keep doing the same thing over and over again. But if you if you know you're in that building and you know Harry Kane is like, nah, fuck this. Hungman's son is playing badly this year because he doesn't like Conte's methods, then then you know what you have to do now. It has to be he has to go. So I, I we we as fans don't have that information, but like that's that's the your ultimate decision factor. What gives you the best chance of finishing fourth or above? I would my my gut says I would prefer to do this in the summer. Um you know, I know this isn't fun to watch, and I don't like it. I just don't think Ryan. Ma- I mean, we'd make a lot of jokes about Ryan Mason on this podcast. I don't think Ryan Mason is capable of doing this for months at a time yet. Um, Spurs winning his manager, best yeah, win for fair sure. enough, fair enough. He is second to none. Um, I think where we're heading, what, what makes a lot of sense from a like, I don't think it's necessarily the best solution for Spurs. I think we're heading towards Pochettino coming back because. I don't think Conte wants to be here. I think Spurs are getting disenchanted with him. And I think Pochettino is the only hire that keeps this fan base sort of, keeps a lid on this fan base for the short term. Because even if you go and hire, um, like you go poach Brighton's manager or, you know, I don't know, get anyone else who just screams project manager. This is a long-term thing. We're going to try and do what Arsenal did. I just don't. Like, people are going to be pissed about that. Like, you know, Spurs fans talk about how that's what they want right now. Like, you know, I get why you would want that. It's probably maybe the right move for Spurs. It's going to fucking suck in the short term in all likelihood. I think it probably won't get immediate results. We're probably going to see Harry Kane leave, which isn't going to... As much as we maybe think that needs to happen, I don't think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, You know, I think... But, yeah, who knows? Pochettino brings a lot of baggage with him, and a lot of that would be... I mean, it could work, it could not. A lot of it's conditional on what he expects. And what Daniel Levy expects, because Daniel Levy clearly wants his team in the Champions League. But I think, we talked about, there, there's been enough sort of habitual losing and problems with this team that I, I think something needs to be reworked. And maybe a guy like Pochettino could do that on the fly, but they, they need to really examine something. Because I think part of the problem is, ever since Pochettino got fired, they've been trying to fix things on the fly, and it hasn't been working. So I just want to jump in because I know Ben has really good and cogent thoughts about this. And uh, so so his, his his he'll be more important here. But I do not want this. I don't want Pochettino back. He left for a reason. And and like his football at the end wasn't that exciting, wasn't that interesting. Like everybody bitched and moaned about him. A lot of those players are still at the club. Like he he doesn't want to work with a director of football like like. I don't think that that's the solution. Um, I get it that he's like daddy and like everybody wants him back and he's very handsome and he looks like a cheesecake factory waiter and whatever. Like, it's oh, fine. What? That's, what uh, that's just what I think of. In all those Champions League games where you get the black shirt and tie. And, fair, you know, fair enough. Just, fair enough. Looks like a cheesecake factory waiter. Um, I've, I've lived in the Midwest and Cheesecake Factory is a fancy restaurant for me. So, you know. Um, uh, so I just don't want it. I don't want it. And uh, and now Ben can tell you why. Well, no, before again. Ben, before yeah. before I, I want to say this one thing before we get to Ben because I think here is the argument for Pochettino, like the theoretical argument. He is he wanted to be a big club manager when he left us. It has not worked out for him for one reason or another. Some of which is his fault, some of it's not. He has since realized that it's never going to get better than it was at Spurs, and he's going to be very happy with it. And he'll walk in with clear eyes about what is like this is a rebuild, Mauricio. Like, that's what we're doing, but, like, you are going to have all the support you need here, and in theory we'll be able to spend more on transfers and all that shit. That is the argument for it. I'm not sure He's that not is going to have any of that, though. I don't that's... think it's going to happen. Ben, what do you think? That sounds like some real fan fiction, A, about, like, that he wanted to leave us for a big club in the first oh. like, Your whole narrative is just... No, 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 no. no. That man was clearly 
angling to get out of here for a while before he left. I think that is not. I really don't think that was the case. Oh, I think that was the case. But I, I mean, he was having dinners with like Alex Ferguson and, and Real Madrid, who told him to yeah, his face how stupid he was to sign how him. to take this club to the next level. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I agree with Brian that I think I love Pochettino, and I think there's a way that this could work, but it smacks of the same kind of short-termist thinking that has gotten us here from sacking him in the first place to all the manager hires since then has just been one stopgap solution after another, just like reeling from one problem to one short-term solution to a new problem and the next short-term solution. And it's, it's not worked. Um, you know, we, Whatever Pochino has to offer, it is going to be the same problems unless there's a big change in the behind the scenes, yes. and whether that's a you know scouting department, director of football situation, whatever. Um, you know, the total control Pochettino was when things started to go off the rails, and like we can't go back to that. I think whatever we do, we need to, and what I want to see is just a sign that Daniel Levy is committing this club in a certain direction, whether that's we're going to give Conte a raise in a three-year deal and say, all right, what do you need to revamp this squad over the summer? Because, you know, you do your best work when your team's not in the Champions League. That's how he won the title with Chelsea. So after we blow this season, you know, we're going to commit to him and give him what he wants. And, you know, over the next three years, we're going to have what we all dreamed of. Um, or we, we fire him. But it needs to be something that feels like, a holistic plan and not just Daniel Levy is getting hot under the collar and has to appease the fans and appease Harry Kane and whatever. And I don't think that necessarily requires blowing everything up and starting over, which I think is the way a lot of people envision, you know, a new project means we sell Harry, we sell everyone. And like, we go out and start buying young players and in five years we're good again. And we're happy to be in the wilderness. Like we have enough of a core that we can still build around. And maybe that requires some sales, but there is a way to revamp the squad now, um, you know, without it being a, a panic move, without it being a wholesale, you know, destruction um, of what we already have. I mean, like the way anyhow came into Newcastle last year, he immediately made things better with minimal signings. And then a few more minimal signings over the summer, Newcastle are, one of the best teams in the country. You know, Graham Potter seemed like he was irreplaceable at Brighton. He was a guy that we all wanted. Well, maybe not Greg, but, you know, Chelsea hired, and then they brought in Deserby, and they got better than they were under Potter immediately. Well, you, you know, know, you replace so like, a, fraud, a fraudulent guidance counselor with a real manager, and look what can happen. Right. You know, um, so, like, I think it doesn't doesn't have to mean – you know, we have to take a step backwards to move forward. We just need like a concerted plan and not just like a silver bullet who's going to come in and fix everything with just like this one weird trick. It's just, it's just not going to work that way. I think that's actually something that's really interesting about this Spurs squad because I've become over the years much more defensive of Levy choosing not to sell Harry Kane than I think a lot of, at least Spurs fans I talk to. Because I do think he would have been very hard to replace, and I think it's very hard to get a player that good, period, let alone out of your academy. But I think we're kind of, like you said, Ben, in some ways I think we are probably better equipped to lose him than we've been in a ver- than we've ever been, and just in terms of players on the pitch. Like, Richarlison could play up front right now. You could maybe fuck around with Son up there, but like you have real options at striker in a way that we haven't had pretty much through his entire tenure. And... I think you're right. I think that's a good point, man. Because, like, you look at, you know, let's say we bring a new manager in. You know, he's still got, let's assume Kane's leaving, which I don't think is a given, but let's assume Kane leaves. He's got Richarlison to work with. He's got maybe Son to work with. If Son leaves, whatever. He's got Kuliszewski to work with. Bentoncourt. You know, Hoiberg's there. I don't know if he'll stick around. Oliver Skip's in the squad. Um, Sar, even Basuma, like you know, I think we'd all be interested how Basuma would play under a different manager. Um, you know, you probably need to revamp the defensive line, which I think is just going to have to happen with any manager. Period. Full stop. But and right. it's worth, that work is the work, no matter who's in charge. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out. Like we all complain about Hugo, and we need to find a replacement. You know, we're being linked with Brentford's keeper, who I think 
you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I think if you told me we were signing him in the summer, I think we'd all be pretty happy about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's pretty good as far as keeper replacements go. Um, you know, it, on the one hand, it's it's a lot of work because I think this club has been flailing since we fired Pochettino. And I think there's some reasons for that that are understandable and others that aren't. Um, but, you know, they need to stick or twist. And some of that is on the club. And honestly, some of this goes back to, like, Antonio Conte. Some of the reason we're flailing right now is because that guy isn't willing to sign, like, a two- or three- or four-year contract where – you could sort of like, okay, well, this year's not going great, so how can we reload for next year? No, it's turning into this whole fucking psychodrama about is he going to be here, is he not going to be here? And, you know. Yeah, I, I think kind of like the main reason why I think Conte needs to go at this point is because, like, the situation is the situation. Like, we're not in all that different of a place than we were when he came on board. Like the squad isn't massively different. The, the way the backroom staff is set up is, is literally no different. Um, the ownership is still the ownership. And so Conte understood the, the, the structures that were in place and, and, and his remit when he took the job. And, and this is still the result. And it, like we said earlier, no flexibility, weirdness on personnel decisions. And like, you know, we can talk about how involved he was or wasn't and, you know, make our best guesses or whatever. But like, he knew what this job was when he took it. He knew what the end goal was. He knew what the restrictions on him were. He knew, you know, whatever. Like, like he had this laid out, generally speaking, for him. And to, to you know, we talked about it just a little bit ago, you know, However many, you know, conceding two or more goals in nine of the last, whatever Ben said, 10 or 11 Premier League matches, going behind first in all of them except the the Crystal Palace game. Like, that is ultimately managerial. And, and you know, deficiencies in the squad or, 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 you know, players falling off a cliff. Like, sure, you can't predict that, but you can react to it. And you can make changes. And we've shown willingness or ability to do so. Uh, other than other than the Leicester match where we finally benched Son and then he comes off the bench and scores a hat trick. So, so that to me is why at the end of the day, this squad with Conte as manager is not going to succeed and long term. It's because... He he's had every opportunity since the squad came back from the World Cup in the month leading up to the World Cup. He's had every opportunity to make a change, to tweak the system, to to find something, or to deploy someone in a different role, or or or, or anything. And we have done nothing other than continue to try to attempt Plan A, and. At what point do we do do we stop banging our head against this wall? It, I think I it has to be now. Also, the devil's advocate case is sort of the Arteta case, right? Is he insisted on playing this lightweight, passy team, you know, for years without any real results? Didn't even look like it was progressing until it finally clicked. The personnel lined up perfectly. I mean, they've gotten miraculously lucky with injuries this season. Like, Jesus is, like, the only notable guy to go down. They basically played their first 11. But when all those things lined up, this thing that looked like it was definitely not working suddenly started working. And as a manager, I think Conte has shown that he is one of the best managers in the world. When his shit works, it fucking works. Um, And if we can get that commitment out of him and are willing to spend the money to turn over the squad in his image. I think there are very few managers in the world who can put all of that together in a team more likely to win the title than Antonio Conte. So I think, you know, even though it's not working now, I don't think that necessarily means it can never work. Where I'm iffy about it is, you know, the level of buy-in and commitment Arteta had with Arsenal 
through all of that was unwavering and always very clearly the case on both sides. You know, the club supported him well past the point of absurdity. And here we are. I, th- I think that's the thing, Ben, though, is 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 that the right. backroom support, that. the buy in. And so on both sides. Right. So if you told me that, you know, I don't know, that 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 the club was going to fully back the manager or whatever we think that means, quote unquote, we're going to back the manager in the transfer market. We're going to turn over the squad. Whatever it is that you or I or Greg or anybody listening to this podcast means, because it thinks that means, because we all think it means something different, um, and and that we were going to commit to his style of play, his personnel, his stuff going forward, then yeah, I would definitely feel differently. But that's not what this club has shown over the last year and a half that Conte's been here. That's not what. Um, you know the 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 product on the pitch has shown. Um, it, it, it's just we we're in this weird space where we are a big club, but we still have some sort of small club uh, processes or tendencies or whatever you want to call them. And and Levy's obsession with big managers and big names and star power has brought us here. And so, like, you know, this summer, you know, who who do we sign? Perisic. On a free. That's great, right? We all thought it was cool. Like, he's, you know, he's a big name. He's played for Conte. He's a wingback. He's a, you know, World Cup finalist. Da, 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 da. What has he done for us? I mean, really, like, is he... I understand he was free. But is he worth the salary that he's being paid? Would you rather have, I don't know, Region or or someone else out there most of the time? I mean, no. But I mean, that's the thing. Is it's like it's hard because it's like you see signings like Regulon and Sessegnon who look like the kinds of guys that anything, anybody would want in a vacuum. They're young, they're high upside, you know, whatever. And they've been worse. I mean, Sessegnon was terrible. Yeah, I mean, probably, probably been, yeah, my uh, best example I could have picked. Um, but you know, like, look, I, you're I just, right. I mean, yeah, it's an I, unclear vision and an unclearly successful vision. Yeah, and so like Arsenal's vision was was pretty clear. They wanted to be Manchester City light. They wanted you know a, a a manager that had you know the Pep DNA, Arsenal DNA. And so he understood, like, the Wenger legacy. He understood, like, the Barcelona thing, the, the Pep thing. And, and, and he would also work with their young players. And that's what they wanted. And that's what they got. And, and what we have wanted desperately since Pochettino was fired was to win a trophy. And so we've hired Mourinho and Conte, who, you know, we, we all tried to rationalize. Well, Ben didn't try to rationalize the Mourinho one, but... Greg and I really tried very hard to rationalize the Mourinho. Yeah, but we knew. Well, yeah, we, but, you know, we have to do content, so it's fine. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so we, that has been our singular, like, club focus. It has gone from we are a club that plays attacking football, a club that develops young players, a club that does X, Y, or Z, to no, we are going to be a club that wins trophies but we have had no clear path to get from where we actually are to where we want to go. And, and, and like Ben said, that is the thing that is frustrating about this. That is the thing that separates where Arsenal are and where we are. And, and it seems like such an easy thing. We are a big club. We can have an identity. We as fans know what Spurs is. It's attacking football beautiful stuff it's european nights and all white like we know what it is and it's weird to look at the people making decisions and have them bring us Mourinho, nuno conte and be like yes this is a return to our spurs dna it's like get the fuck out of here well it's 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 this weird thing of like i think daniel levy has identified and I think going back to Pochino's first big contract extension, he has identified a bit of a marketing inefficiency. We can afford to pay 
managers a lot of money. And it's something I think every league in the world doesn't always realize. Like, yeah, like you can pay them money. And it's, you look at what happened last season. It's like, you're, 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 you're getting a huge benefit out of that. If you hire the right manager, it's, it's compared to like what you have to pay players. You're getting a lot for a bang for your buck. And you know, that's great. But like you said, Brian, like, we're trying to act a certain way and we're not for all the problems that we have with Conte. And I think, you know, his unwillingness to commit is like going back to what Ben said, a huge problem because there's not that commitment on either side right now. But you know, if we're going to sign guys like Conte and Mourinho, and I mean, if you're going to sign guys like Mourinho, you got bigger problems, but if you're going to sign a guy like Conte, like you got to buy a certain type of player, a certain caliber. Now, yes, we went out and got Richarlison. We spent money on Basuma. No, no, no. No, no, but my point is, like, they are spending some money, but it's also, like, you're not addressing the big deficiencies in the squad. You don't seem to be, like, more so than a lot of managers, Conte has a very sort of custom-fit system, and we're not buying the players to facilitate that. And I understand, we've talked about this on this podcast, it's not as easy as it sounds. Like, you know, there's not, like, an obvious sort of right-back that, like, why the, like, even, like, even Bastoni, even if I will accept, which, you know, I think is true, like, it was just hard to get him, at least... There's a target that makes sense that would be a sensible guy for us to buy. But, like, you know, there's not that guy for right back, but that doesn't change the fact that, like, you have a huge problem at right back and left back. And, you know, Conte seems at least somewhat complicit in this, but, like, why are we not improving on Ryan Seth? Okay, we got Perisic, but, like, maybe you've got to stick with the Sessignon as your backup. But why are we not improving on the right back situation? Even if you like Jed Spence. Like, go get a more qualified guy for Conte who can do the things he wants to do. And I, again, I don't believe Conte is entirely just being like, all right, whatever you want to do, Fabio. I don't know. Like, we're adrift. I think you're right, Ben. Like, committing in some direction would be a welcome change of pace. Um, I don't think we necessarily need to blow it up, but I think that's where it's going to end up um, just because I don't think we're going to just keep spending money on the same guys. But I don't know. We're like with Pedro Poro, which is... A lot of money for a right back, so who fucking knows? Right, and you know, it's like we should just pay it. Yes, I agree. It's like it's an overpay, absolutely. But like Daniel Levy is notoriously a penny wise and a pound foolish. Like, you know, yes, we could we couldn't buy Bastoni because it was hard because they were asking too much. He didn't really want to leave. But like, there's a number we could have written down on a piece of paper and slid across that desk, and they would have said, "Yeah, okay." And the the cost of not doing that is is worse than than overpaying for a guy. Especially when it's a guy who's that good, a guy your manager wants that badly. And, like, it's a lesson we keep not learning. But, again, and this is where I, I think some of the blame goes over to Conte. Apparently some of the hesitancy on Spurs' part is, like, should we custom-buy players for Conte when this motherfucker's not going to commit to us beyond the next few months? Now, I think Poro is good enough that you just fucking sign it and you figure it out later if you bring a Pochettino or whoever in. I mean, and Bastoni was definitely good enough. You know, Gvardiol was definitely good enough. You know what? You, guys know, like, you can maybe argue to me that $80 million is too much for a guy like that. It's not my money. I don't care. I'm getting sick of it. We probably should have just spent it. What, what are we talking about, Bastoni? £35 million? Pounds? Like, we're definitely not in, holy shit, don't do that money for him. You know what I mean? Like, there's no excuse. Poro? Yeah, for Poro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry. But there, there's no excuse for that. Like, Yeah. And, I mean, especially if the calculus is we finish sixth versus we finish fourth. Because there's your, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 million pound difference right there. Like, qualifying for the Champions League versus not is worth, I don't know, 100 million pounds to the club. Like, so you've got to look. And, look, I don't know how the club's budget set up. It's probably not like FIFA or football manager at all. Like, it probably none of this thing really matters. But, like, the calculus just has to be... Does this get us to the Champions League? That's it. And and you know if it's I'm like I, I'm with Ben. It's an overpay. Fine, overpay. You know who does overpay for players? Big clubs. You know that that's just what you do when you want to compete at the top end of the Premier League and the Champions League. You just overpay for guys sometimes. Right. And if you don't want to do that fucking develop like a scouting and analytics department daniel yeah tur- yeah exactly let's let's start buying guys from the german second division and developing them if that's what we're gonna do great we'll do it but we can't be in the middle and i think yeah i think um actually 
you know, uh, someone who you may be familiar with, uh, maybe was on this podcast, I don't remember, uh, Reno Wallabout actually tweeted about this I've never earlier. heard of him. Never heard of yeah, him. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Sounds like uh, he's just miserable about everything. Yeah, uh, that is true. That is true. Um, he tweeted about this this week, and uh, you know that that in America we have baseball teams that are that are richer and poorer. Like baseball is one of those sports that isn't governed by a salary cap. So you know the sort of disparities that we see in football are are, are present in baseball. And um, at the top, the big clubs just steal all of the shit that the little clubs do to be smart with their money and, you know, get those marginal gains. And Spurs have seemed so resistant to doing that. Like, we are a big club with big money. And so we can, if Brighton is doing something good and cool, if Brentford is doing something smart, we can just do that. And we're not... We're not we're not we're not doing that and we're not buying players like Chelsea. So what is even the point of us? It's it's very rare and I think this this does not accurately summarize all the issues with Spurs, but it's very rare that spend some fucking money is actually a legitimate criticism of your football club. And that is certainly not everything that is wrong with Spurs, but it is definitely <laughs> captures something that is a problem with us. You know, like Jack Reilly should be a Spurs player if we just spent some fucking money. Like and not for 100 million euros or pounds, whatever the fuck he went for. So, I don't right. know. I mean, that's the thing. Daniel Levy played chicken with Villa and their bad financial situation. And, yep, it was smart business. He had him over a barrel. And then guess what? He didn't. And trying to save 5 million pounds ended up with us not getting a player who would really be helpful. Uh, you know, it's it's – I don't know. It's frustrating. I don't have a great answer for it because – there's part of me which thinks Spurs are absolutely capable of just spending more money. And I do think there's a level, like, if Conte just committed and was like, yeah, I'm going to be here for the next two years. Fine. Whatever. Like, honestly, that bothers me in, in, in concert with how bad we're playing. Like, what bothers me is he just hasn't committed and he's playing this game of footsie with us again where it's like, you know, like we were talking about. He wants more money now. He wants assurances. Like, dude, have you looked at the way we're fucking playing? Like, you need to... Show some fucking humility, at least. Like, you're not blameless here. Well, and I think, you know, on the, on the, going back to the spend money Levy thing, like, we're more than midway through January now. And not only have we not signed anybody, but we're not even really seriously linked with anyone other than Pedro Porro. Yep. And so, like... We keep hearing these things about Spurs would potentially buy up to three players, but you're right, I can't think of anyone other than Poro who we've been seriously linked to maybe Edwards a few weeks ago but and I mean we spent you know kind of all the lead up to this January window being like well you know January might be weird because I said it like 27 times on this show like the January will be weird and that we don't know what the World Cup and that maybe there'll be a more active window and it's not it's not been it's just been the same and teams it looks like did not use the month off that they had to line up signings or negotiate stuff because there wasn't like just some flurry of deals on January 1 and we're you know it's January 17th in in the US right now January 18th in in the UK and, and we've nothing not even a shit ton of rumors I like, know Spurs need to, they need to commit to something. They need there needs to be a strategy. And I don't I don't think it's going to be like this the rest of the season necessarily, but like it might be boring and dull like it had been before this, but they need to figure something out. I don't know what, but they need to figure something out. If only for so, us the content creators who are the true victims here. I mean, Chelsea have signed five players already. And to be fair, it's not going terribly well. For Four of them are defenders. So, I mean, it's very... It's not great business that they're doing. And I mean, one of them suspended for the next, like, four games. But... Yeah. Um, and they might potentially have to re- release uh, Obama Yang just to accommodate the one signing and, you know, whatever. But um, I guess I guess my thing is, is, like Greg said, you know, looking at the season going forward is... I, I would like us to be fun. Like... Like, like, obviously, for the reasons Greg mentioned, like, as as I don't like it, the, the term content creators, that makes me feel gross. Um, podcasters, we can stick with that, right? Um, I just want something fun to talk about. Like, yes. 
I don't know if if we lose four three, but like we played some really cool passing football and we were knocking it around and you know, I think I'd enjoy that. I mean. You know, I'm sure we've done podcasts like that from, you know, the Pochettino and, and Redknapp era Spurs where maybe we were not as excited about that. But, like, I don't know. I just want us to be fun and interesting. And this whole conceding multiple goals, you know, going behind early, playing the same dreary stuff that we've been playing for three years, I'm not enjoying it. Like, I, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I mean, my only hope right now is January. Like, we saw the way the Kuliszewski and Benton core signings revitalized and transformed our season last year. You know, there's a small part of my brain that hasn't quit on this team entirely and still believes that that's a possibility. You know, you just get those two guys in, and all of a sudden, we can hey, make a you run. Get, you get a real attacking fullback, Benton core gets healthy, who knows? We win the Champions League. Yeah, and I mean those those both signings happened January thirty first, so maybe we just have to wait fourteen more days. Having seen that last year, I would have hoped that we would have maybe pulled the trigger a little earlier, so we Why could have would we for longer from our past but... experiences. Yeah, no, certainly not. That way lies madness. Well, I can't think of a better place to end it on than there. Uh, Spurs play City later this week. There's really no good outcomes for that game, so I don't think we're going to talk about it now. We'll talk about it next week. We should uh, throw it. Throw the game. I don't care. Yeah, you know what? I, I'd be, I'll give Conte a mulligan. I don't care how bad we play. Let, let City win. Like, like We'll resume the conversation about your job security next week. No added pressure from, from this podcast. Right. If you want to throw City a bone in their race to derail Arsenal's title challenge, Fine by me. Yeah, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. We'll, we'll we will pick up regular service the next week. But I right, clip this and then play it before next week's episode, and then we'll see if their opinions line up. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you on Twitter dot com? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. Do you have any alternate alternate sites? With a y. <laughs> Do you have any alternate sites you want to put? You want to? You want to no, promote? I don't. Okay. Ma- Macedons for nerds. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, and you can also find our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio for Ben. For Brian, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, Also, I guess for Brett Rainbow, um, come on, you Spurs, please, for once.